Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, and this is episode 34, A Seismic Journey. I'm Dan Hewitt, I'm filling in for Gary Jordan, and I will be your host today. If you're new to the show, we bring in NASA experts, the scientists, the engineers, the astronauts, all to tell you everything about NASA. Today, we're talking with Drew Feustel, who's a U.S. astronaut, and he's about to launch to the International Space Station in March of 2018. We talked about his education in geology and seismology, some of his previous spaceflight experience, including flying to the Hubble Space Telescope, and some of his expectations for his first long-duration stay in space aboard the space station. So with no further delay, let's go light speed and jump right ahead to our talk with Dr. Drew Feustel. Enjoy. I mean, just sitting there, so you you took quite a path. It, it almost seems like the way you became an astronaut, it was just this this long line of dominoes that all had to fall in place. That's at... exactly what I was thinking when I was talking about it, was that it's dominoes, you know? Or I like to think of it as like Swiss cheese. They use Swiss cheese analogy for a lot of time for accidents. <laughs> Maybe this was an accident when multiple pieces of Swiss cheese, and if you line it up just right, one of the holes, you know, mul- a series of holes will line up so you get a straight path through all, you know, the, all the pieces of cheese. Yeah. And I think of my life sometimes that way. I think it's true for everybody's life, but you don't always... You don't always turn around to reflect on, you know, you could probably make the same analogy. You could go, how did I get from A to B, right? And maybe you have that same story. Well, I was sitting there thinking about it as you were talking, <laughs> yeah. and I, I was literally tracing it back. So I ended up at NASA. The I trace it back to a memory where my roommate and I were sitting around in college, and we had no money, and mm-hmm. we're like, let's go get jobs. <laughs> yeah. Let's go sign up for internships. There you go. And that's how I ended up getting an internship at NASA. So yeah. that's how I kind of ended up here. Yeah. But, I mean, walk us through kind of, because yours yours goes a little bit further back than mine. I mean, you, you yeah. can trace your story I, all the way back to great, great uncle pre-1900s. And, yeah, 19, I think my great uncle, uh, so we'll start, we'll, and it, <clears throat> the Purdue will love this because it starts with Purdue University, I think. I guess it does. But my great-uncle attended Purdue and uh, graduated in 1905. So I guess he started probably in like 1900 or 1901 uh, and received an engineering degree in civil engineering. And when I was in my early 20s, I was probably 19 or 20, I think my grandmother showed me an obituary about my uncle, my great-uncle who was a Purdue graduate, and he became, I like to think of him as like a titan in industry, uh, but he was a public servant, worked in the utilities, for the utilities commission um, in, I believe, around the Chicago area and then eventually in Indiana. And he was a public servant, but he was quite prominent um, in his in his arena. And when he passed away, there was, you know, people wrote obituaries about him. And the things that they said about him were really impressive to me. And these are the things that my grandmother gave me to read. And the stories that were told about him by the governor of of Indiana, who was his close personal friend, Mm -hmm. really struck me that this individual had achieved so many great things in his life. He died in his, I think it was his late 40s. Um, 
he was just really very successful as a public servant and and so many individuals who held prominent roles you know the president of Purdue University at the time the governor of Indiana these people were saying things about him that um, really uh, really were impressionable to me and um, inspired me to uh, maybe model my um, you know my maybe not my career but model myself after what I perceived him to be based on what others said about him. Um, not that anybody should care necessarily about what people think of you, but, you know, public perception is important, and, and if you, it's good to have role models, and this was a good role model for me. At least I felt it, it was. But that inspired me um, to, you know, create goals in my life that were very broad and advanced and look for opportunities that I may not otherwise have been inspired to uh, to pursue. And so. so that was just kind of domino one. And then, so Purdue, Purdue seems, to be, yeah. seems to be a central location for yeah. a lot of things that yeah. happened in yeah. your life. So you ended up going there. Great, eventually. great, great uh, PR for the school. The uh, My father and my uncle, my father and his brother, both were Purdue graduates in the 1960s. Um, and so while I was at community college, there was really no other option that I thought for myself. I thought, well, you know, Purdue's been in the family. It's pretty prominent. And Purdue had at that time graduated uh, uh, 20-some astronauts um, or individuals who eventually became astronauts, including— And you, and you were already thinking and I was already thinking about at this point. It. Well, I mean, you know, talking about Neil Armstrong, Gus Grissom, Gene Cernan, some of the greats, you know, there's 20 of us, 24 of us now, I believe— um, and I was already thinking astronaut program, and, but I didn't really know how it was going to work out. I mean, I went, I'm, I'm the only Purdue graduate who's not an engineer. I'm a geoscientist and oh. I, you know, I didn't really know, well, I didn't know how I, how being at Purdue somehow made you an engineer and it, I, you know, it doesn't, but it just so happens that a lot of Purdue grads had become, or a lot of astro astronauts are, are Purdue grads. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I made the choice to come to Purdue and, and study geosciences. And I thought at the time, I thought, well, if I'm a geoscientist or a geophysicist, I can eventually be an astronaut and look at mining resources on other planets, for example, or, or, uh, something along those lines. And, um, that's not what I'm doing now, but at least that's the goal I had in mind at the time, um, when I was there, but at Purdue, um, I met my wife, and my wife was from Canada. And that leads to another domino mm. in this story, which is, you know, how is it that I finally made that connection to NASA? And um, my wife and I met at Purdue. Um, we were married while we were there. And when she finished her degree and I finished mine at the same time, we both finished our master's degrees, she was interested in moving uh, back to Canada, back to her home. And I was interested in doing something. In fact, if I hadn't met my wife, my plan was to possibly join the Air Force because I wanted to fly jets. Right? Oh, okay. Everybody, you know, I grew Why up not? wanting to, you know, <laughs> go fast, fly jets, whatever. Um, but we met, and I realized that maybe I wasn't ready to run off to the military just yet, and um, maybe there were some other options. So I uh, pursued a Ph.D. in geophysics, and. Um, through my connections, uh, uh, my advisor at Purdue University, he suggested I go to Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, and speak with an individual there who was uh, working in uh, mining seismology, underground mine, underground mining seismology, which is really the study of 
micro earthquakes in in mines underground <laughs> mines to understand how the mine and the um, the earth is reacting to removal of material when you're in the during the mining process so um, <clears throat> I went to Queens so with my wife and within the first few months of being there this was in 1991 I saw a TV program called W5 which is a lot like 60 minutes and uh, and the story was about the astronaut, the Canadian astronaut selection, where Chris Hadfield, Julie Payette, Dave Williams, um, where these individuals were all selected as astronauts. And I was fascinated by that program, and I thought, that's really cool. Those guys are doing the things that I want to do mm. when I grow up. Um, that was 1991. Um, while we were in Canada, um, both of my boys were... Um, were born. Two children were born in Kingston, Ontario. I actually attained Canadian citizenship there in Canada, so I'm a dual citizen. Oh, wow. My children are dual okay. citizens because they were born in Canada to U.S. citizens. My wife is a dual citizen because she was born in Nashville, Tennessee and became a naturalized Canadian in the early 70s. So we're all family of dual citizens, uh, Canadian, U.S. And while we were there, I had a friend uh, from Purdue University call me, a colleague of mine that I went to school with at Purdue, and he was at the time working for Exxon, uh, Exxon Exploration Company, now Exxon Mobil mm -hmm. Company, and he said, uh, hey, Exxon's looking for some people. Are you interested in coming down for a job interview? I thought, well, that's great because the Johnson Space Center is right around the corner, and not only would this be a great opportunity with Exxon, but maybe, you know, maybe now there's a chance for me to apply to the space program when I get down there. And again, you're, you're still thinking astronaut. I'm still thinking astronaut, but I was, <laughs> I was, you know, I was pursuing the things that I really liked to do. I, I love geology. I love geoscience. Um, I still read geoscience journals, you know, mm -hmm. and periodicals and try to stay up on the current trends in the industry. I mean, I really like that stuff. And that was why I did it as a career, um, because I got something out of it. And, and I would still love to do that again at some point in my life, you know, and when career number three comes around, maybe I'll be, you know, back doing exploration. I don't know what in, uh, in, in as a geoscientist, but um, we came to Houston and I attended a conference early on uh, once I got here, um, oil and gas conference. And one of the individuals who attended this conference, so whose name I saw on the agenda was a person, a geophysicist by the name of Rod, uh, Rod, Rob Stewart. Uh, Rob Stewart at the time was working up in Calgary and he was selected as a Canadian astronaut on that program that I saw in Canada in 1991. He was one of the guys that was selected <laughs> as a Canadian astronaut. And Rob, um, for personal reasons, was unable to accept that position, but he was selected, so he knew about the space program. He knew these individuals. Rob is now actually working. Um, he's the, um, I think he's the chair of geophysics uh, at University of Houston, here, oh, wow. right here in town. So I see Rob occasionally. We've done a lot of work over the years together um, related to NASA and uh, related to astronaut training because we always have a, a component of astronaut training that's uh, um, centered around geology and geophysics. Every astronaut that comes into the program learns something about geology and geophysics because of the work that we did on the moon and because of what we believe we'll do when we go uh, back to the moon and eventually onto Mars. Mm -hmm. A lot of the work we will do is geo geotechnical in nature. Uh, and so that we think that's an important uh, component of uh, astronaut skill set. 
anyways, that's a just a sidebar. But back to the story of I went to this conference. Rob Stewart was there. I talked to Rob, Rob Stewart, and I said, Rob, what can you tell me about the space program? I'm just a guy who wants to be an astronaut at some mm-hmm. point in my life. And um, he he said, well, why don't you come down to the Johnson Space Center with me tomorrow because I'm going to go meet my friends who are still my friends that I met back in 1991, you know, six years before at this when they were all selected. And so we had plans to do that. And uh, um, on that day that we were supposed to go down, it was the same day, I believe, that one of the progress vehicles ran into the Mir Space Station. And so there was so much activity down here in Houston that uh, the visit was called off. And so, so it's almost like you've had all of these fortuitous events and now setback. A setback, yeah. And I was a little bit disappointed. You know, I thought, wow, this, that was my chance to go to the Space Center with, with Rob Stewart. And yeah. he was going to introduce me to all these people. And so Rob Stewart left, went back to Calgary. And a month or two later, I called him in Calgary and said, you know, I'm still interested in that, in that, uh, in meeting some of these people or learning more about it. What can you tell me? And he said, well, I can't tell you much because I didn't, I didn't go there, right? I'm still here. I'm still a geoscientist, yeah. and I and I made that decision. Um, he said, "So why don't you just call somebody and talk to them?" Just I said, "Well, all right. I'll thanks for the suggestion," and hung up the phone with Rob. And then I just looked in the phone book and got you just the, look up astronaut. I just looked up the <laughs> phone number for Johnson Space Center, and I called the operator at Johnson Space Center, and I said. I would like to speak to Chris Hadfield because he was the other name that I knew from watching this program in 1991. He was Hmm. the other Canadian astronaut. And Rob said he knew him, so, you know, I figured, well, I can just call him and talk to him. And after being put on hold twice, going through the, you know, the different operators at the Johnson Space Center, finally Chris Hadfield picked up the phone and said, hi, it's Chris Hadfield. And I said, hey. I, Rob Stewart said I should call you. <laughs> and uh, I just want to prepare you for random people calling yeah, in now saying, I'd like to talk to Drew Foisel. I know yeah. Rob. Yeah. Well, you know, in life, sometimes it's about who you know and not necessarily what you know. You know, So that was a, that was just a door, right? That was a doorknob that mm-hmm. I just reached out and turned. And I think that's important for people to realize, like, you know, by not, taking the op- those opportunities, you guarantee that you're not going to open a door, right? But if you take an opportunity, there's a chance that you could open one door and all the doors behind it. And I think it's a good lesson in life that, you know, you do have to step out there sometimes and take those risks. The only thing you can be assured of is that if you don't take those risks, nothing's going to happen, right? Yeah. So there's always those opportunities. The domino won't fall if you don't recognize that it's there. Yeah, exactly. You got to see it first to make it happen. So, so anyways, that's you know, that's kind of how all the pieces laid out. And um, after you know, I met Chris, and um, we we realized we had some common interests. I you know he plays guitar a lot more than I do, but I play guitar, and um, we we played music a lot together back then. And we were both avid water skiers, so we spent a lot of time on the water, um, skiing and. Um, I would, you know, through that friendship, um, which was really, you know, just really quite a, I thought it was a great relationship. We had a lot of fun doing different things. Um, but I got exposed to a lot of people in the astronaut corps and NASA and what was going on down here. And I was, um, I like to think I was in the right place at the right time with the right competition, um, to be selected in 2000 as an astronaut. And, 
you know, I, if I were competing now with the people who are being selected as astronauts, I would not be here. You know, they're just a lot of brilliant people that have shown up uh, really after I got here. And uh, it's, it's just amazing to see the caliber of folks that are coming in. But again, the right place, the right time with the right competition allowed me to be here. But when I, you know, the story is pretty long, but you can link all the pieces together and, and realize that it comes all the way back to probably my great, great uncle. Um, I can't remember, great, great or great. I think he's my mm. great, great uncle um, in the late, in the early 1900s attending Purdue University. That was the start of all of those links in the chain that led me to, um, you know, being, being here where I am today. And, you know, between him, learning about him and meeting my wife at Purdue University, those I think are the two really key pivotal things that happened in my life. And it's, it's amazing now to realize that there was just those, there really those two things. Mm. If those two things hadn't existed, you know, I wouldn't have the opportunities that I have now. And, and I wouldn't have, I think, the opportunity to try to inspire somebody else, you know, to do those great things. And I hope that's, I hope that's a big component of, you know, the opportunities that we have as astronauts is that we do inspire people and we do um, allow people to reach out and make that step that they might not have taken had they not had somebody to to model, you know, their yeah. lives out or something or their decisions or at least, you know, create that spark. I hope that's what the effect that we have on people. Well, like I said, be ready for those phone calls. Yeah, those operator. phone calls. People, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's fine, you know. <laughs> well, so I do have one kind of fun question. So you said, you know, geology is still a, you know, it's definitely still a passion for you. If you could go practice geology anywhere in the universe, any planet, any asteroid, and anything, what what would you do? Where would you want to go? Well, I don't know if you'd want to send me because I didn't say I was a good geologist. I just said I <laughs> well, like so, it. <laughs> yeah, take all the decision-making okay, process out of right. it. But you, true voice, so we're gonna we're gonna yeah. launch anywhere in the universe to go, you know, practice your craft. Where would you want to go? Well, um, everywhere and anywhere, um, but maybe not to get stuck there. You saw the movie Interstellar, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of a story about people who went out into places and ended up getting stuck there, and that's that's not ideal. But I think it's cool to think that you could go to different places, um, different planetary bodies where there is um, geology um, to be discovered, new things that we don't see on planet Earth. I mean, in a practical, practically thinking, right? I think what we what we need to do um, as a space organization and as a as a as a world really as a world species is to establish our presence on the moon and our ability to live there permanently over a you know long duration like really no kidding have a moon base that we can live on and do live on at all mm-hmm. times as a species and then develop the capability to go on to mars and it's those places you know humans were built to live on earth um it will be impossible without assistance of life support systems to live on the moon and on Mars, but it's important. At some point in the history of humans, I think it's highly likely that we will find an Earth-like planetary body for us to live on. Now, you know, it might be 10,000 years from now, it might be, you know, 
another 4,000 years. I, I don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point I think humans will, or human-like species, will live, and maybe we'll all evolve from here. Um, we'll live somewhere else out in the universe on something like Earth. But you know, Earth is a pretty special place, and this is where humans were designed to live. And when we leave this planet, we will change as a species because our bodies change and adapt to the environment that they're in mm. naturally. It takes a long time, but we do. I mean, we see that with different people around the world, how the different climates affect you know what we're like as a species around the planet and that will the same thing will happen to us i mean we just see you know for example we go to space as astronauts if we didn't work out every single day right we we would eventually lose all the muscles in our legs right the bones become brittle because the body doesn't need to put any nutrients there or fire those muscles if you don't use them so if you don't use them you're going to lose them so we have to be careful about the way we start to explore space and realize that um, as we become an interplanetary or interspace species that um, we'll, we'll always be faced with the challenge of returning to Earth in this one gravity environment that we know here um, and being able to sustain that, those gravity loads and, and live here and walk here and, and exist here. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I, hopefully we'll have a way to observe what happens to the human species as we, you know, go off into the ether of of life but uh, i just i don't know i don't know those answers well we're not sending you off into the ether yet we're just <laughs> okay. going to send you to the international space okay. station so <laughs> we'll keep it down closer we'll, to earth we'll for keep now. it a little bit down closer to earth for now but i mean even this i mean this is going to be kind of a significant jump in spaceflight experience because yeah. your previous two were much shorter missions i'll be you know very jam-packed especially yeah. hubble which by yeah. the way hubble that was when I came to NASA. That was the first mission that I really mm. followed because mm-hmm. I came here as a student in the summer of two thousand and nine. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so that so was the first was time it. where like I, I knew everything that was going yeah. on with that mission. So that one's always stood out in my mind, and that I mean that had to be a really special one for you because that was your first flight. Yeah, I mean it was uh, it was great. I think everybody's first flight is is amazing. Um, yeah, we're just uh, it's. It was it was really a unique opportunity to see Hubble, and I didn't I didn't realize how unique it was until you know then we went to the space station, and now Hubble continues to operate. I mean, um, but but that's what we do in the space program. I mean, before Hubble, there was you know um, it was uh, Skylab and Apollo Soyuz and you know Mir and Salyut and you know, the shuttle, the Apollo and Gem- I mean, there was all those things, right? And they're all special and unique. And Hubble is one of those neat, neat aspects of space and space exploration that, that humans were a part of. Um, so, you know, we, none of us think any mission is more special than the other. Just Hubble was just a really cool thing to be able to work on. I wish, you know, everybody could have had that same experience because it was fun and it was busy and it was a different mission. Um, but everything we do is different, you know, and I sometimes don't even feel like I've really flown in space yet until I, you know, having seen everybody go to the space station and be there for, you know, four or five or six months, you know, that's living and working in space. And that's what I'm looking forward to is having that real, um, longer term experience. Um, you know, shuttle missions are amazing. They're jam packed and 
our space program wouldn't be where it is right now if it weren't for all the shuttle missions leading up to it and the short short duration missions. Um, but I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to living and working in space, and I feel like it'll be really the you know really to um, ha- to fully experience that means you'd need to be there for more than two weeks, and mm. um, so that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, You're going to feel a little bit more like one of those future humans living out beyond the Earth's realm of influence, probably. I guess I guess I'll get to feel like I can I can absorb it more personally instead of what I see in pictures. I mean, I have pictures from Hubble. I have pictures from Space Station. But, you know, they those days pass so quickly um, that now hopefully I'll have more of those experiences become part of, you know, part of my psyche they'll have more of those images those those things burned into my memory as opposed to having to remember what they were like by looking at a picture it's almost like you went on a short family vacation and yeah. now you're actually going to go live overseas yeah you, you go live over there that's right it's where you, you get a job as a uh, um a, you know a, a surfing instructor in hawaii instead of just visiting for <laughs> exactly. two weeks and taking lessons you know yeah and i mean i know when you guys are up there so you're a bit of a gearhead, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're restoring cars and things yeah. of that nature. When you're on the shuttle, I imagine you didn't have a whole lot of opportunity to tinker and fix things. But with Space Station, you get to play pretty much Space Repairman. Yeah. Is any of that got you kind of excited to be able to take well, some of those things <laughs> apart and put them back together? You know, much of what we do in space is not by our choice. And... uh I I am excited about that, and I hope that the space station program takes advantage of the opportunity. You know, I'm not, I'm no Don Pettit. You know, Don can create a nuclear reactor while he's up there, at, you know, gyro-stabilized platform. Um, but I can fix things, and I know my way around tools, and I hope we have a chance to do some of those things in space that the program's going to take advantage of that. Um, not that they don't anyways, um, but... Um, you know, maybe if there's some things that we've been thinking about fixing for a long time and had some stuff on the back burner, um, I'm happy to do ex- the science. I'm excited to do the science, um, but you know, you can only you can only neglect things for so long. And not we don't neglect anything on ISS, but there are probably projects we could get done that we just haven't had the um, motivation to do before. And, and maybe this is a chance to uh, take care of some of those mechanical things that uh, we just haven't had an opportunity in the past to take care of. So we'll see. Um, I'm sure there'll be plenty to do. Um, I'm not hoping that anything breaks. You know, you never want that. It's always, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, you never want anything to break. You yeah. just want it to keep working. <laughs> but if it does, we're there and I'm, I'm ready to, to help try to get things back, uh, back in one piece if we can. Well, I know we're about out of time with you. I did have one more of those fun hypotheticals. So you are, like I said, you are a bit of a gearhead. You've been taken apart cars since you were what like 13 or yeah, something and yeah, yeah so if you could have any spacecraft in history transported to your garage for you to take apart put back together have fun with which one would you pick <laughs> um <clears throat> that's a great question but i don't know if i would want a spacecraft in my garage <laughs> to take apart and put back together mainly because i'm not a rocket scientist and uh you know, I, I'm not sure I'd know the first thing about building a uh, building a rocket. But, uh, you know, what I'm looking forward to really is the next generation of spacecraft. I think uh, what we've done in the past has been amazing. And the capabilities that we've achieved with the rockets we've built 
you know, has gotten us to this point. And uh, this is a very dynamic stage in human space exploration, human and robotic space exploration. And um, we as humans have only been exploring space for 50 years, you know, physically exploring space. And to me, that's just like at the infancy of the program. Mm. I mean, 50 years by any measure of institution or corporation or anything or a life is nothing. And so I think it's really exciting right now that we are just at this, the beginning stages of, uh, of how we explore and expand out into the universe. And it's all happening like right now. I mean, it's, we're really starting to advance in our capabilities. And it's not just NASA, but it's the private corporations that are getting involved. And uh, I think that's important. And it's amazing, and I, th I think in our lifetimes there are some some great things to come, and some some uh, fantastical things to see in, in terms of uh, what we start learning about working and living in space. More dominoes starting to fall. More dominoes, more more great things to come. Great right. time. Sorry, we didn't get to all your no, no, no questions. It's fine. You got a lot of great information there's, written down here. There's a lot of stuff. I don't know here. who this is about, but uh, whoever <laughs> does this <laughs> got some interesting things on their plate. Yeah. Uh, well, believe it or not, you've kind of done some cool stuff being an astronaut and all that. So I've had some great opportunities. You know, we all do, and and I, that reflects on what I said at the beginning. Was I hope that, you know, somehow, we inspire the next generation because you know I'm to to be honest, you know, 17 years going on 18 years in the program, you know, I'm kind of on the back end of my career here, and so I I, I just you know. You hope that you make a difference so that someone else can come along and continue on that uh, that process and, and just keep us moving forward. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're Trey. welcome. My pleasure. Hey, thanks for sticking around. That was our time with Drew Foisel. If you want to follow him while he's flying on board the International Space Station, check him out on Twitter at Astro underscore Foistel. And as always, you can follow the International Space Station by heading over to nasa.gov ISS or on all of our different social media accounts. We're all over the place on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And you can always use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit your idea, and we might be able to make it into a podcast. This podcast was recorded on December 22, 2017. And thanks, as always, to Alex Perryman, John Stoll, Pat Ryan, and John Streeter, and, of course, Gary Jordan. And thanks again to Dr. Drew Foistel for coming on the show. We'll be back next week.